So uh, when the wind is at your back, what do you do? I'm not a sailor. I, I, everything I know about sailing comes from up at Treasure Island, so it's, uh, it's, it's limited. I don't know all the terms. I know you hoist up the John B. sail and that kind of thing. But um, my understanding is if the wind's at your back, that means that it's, it's relative to the, where your destination. It's behind you. And so if, I would assume you're going to open up the sails to their maximum. You're going to put up every sail you got. You're going to open it full wide and let the wind catch it and take you where it's going. Does it make sense? Like I said, I'm not a sailor, so if, if I'm wrong, you can correct me. But, but um, what do we do as believers when we have the mighty wind of God at our back? What, what should we do in times when the wind is in our favor, when God's good pleasure, in his sovereignty, in his providence, is just giving us success and, and giving us a, a way forward and open doors? When there are open doors and the path ahead of us, what should we do? We should take it, shouldn't we? We should hoist up the sails and we should just let it run. Now, to be clear, Paul tells us that we are to preach the gospel in season and out of season. There's no time where we're allowed to slack. If, if the wind's in our face, we're still supposed to be preaching the gospel. We're still supposed to be living for the Lord. But I guess I'm getting at the fact that there are times, there, and it's, maybe they feel few and far between. Uh, the year, we think of the years of COVID and stuff like that that we went through as a church and the whole nation went through. Those were, those were tough times. But there are sweet times of the Lord's favor where in his providence, he just gives us just a great progress in the faith and a, and a chance to share the faith. And my point is we should take those. We should take full advantage of those. The big idea today, use God's favor to full advantage for his kingdom. What I want to do, and let me give you the little layout here of the sermon today. Have you noticed you got a really big section before you get to the points, the subpoints? All right, so here's what I want us to do. We're going to cover the whole passage. That's going to take up two-thirds of the sermon or so, give or take. But as we go, your job as a Bible expositor um, is to look and, and write down every time you see God's favor toward Paul. I'll mention them, but you write them down as we go. And then after we've shown the, the kind of time period that, that Paul was in and the favor that God was granting him, then we're going to make some applications for what we do as a church when we experience times of favor like that as well. So, All right, we pick up at Malta. We're in Malta, Malta. I mean, Malta was kind of an, I mean, that was, that was Paul's rescue, his salvation. They, they came aground at Malta. He got bit by a snake, but he survived that. That opened up doors. He was able to, to, to preach and to minister. He went to Publius's house, and his dad was sick with dysentery, which doesn't sound very good, but again, chance to, chance to heal him. And then, and then the people from the island came, and we, we ended, I think, last time with them filling up the, the ship and, and, and preparing to see them off. That, that, and, and that is just three, three months in Malta. How bad would that be? Dead of winter. Paul's the original snowbird. For those that didn't know, like he, he just recreated there, got a little bit of sun in, in, uh, in Malta for three months, and, uh, and then he's ready to set sail. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Who are the twin gods? Do you know them? You shouldn't be into astrology, but I bet you know who we're talking about here, right? 
Gemini, Gemini, the Castor and Pollux. These were worshipped by the ancient. They're not gods at all. They're just they're just make their fantasies of man's uh, mind. But hey, that's what pe- and they uh, they were um, supposed to be auspicious gods when it came to sailing. So that was why they had them as a figurehead on that particular ship. That meant nothing whatsoever to our story. That's not why God gave favor. But what is evidence is God's providence here. What were the chances, and, I, and, and I, this is almost rhetorical because I don't honestly know what the chances were, but it seems odd to me that they barely understood the island. Like Luke mentions Malta like, hey, you've never heard of this place, but it was an island called Malta. Well, it just so happens that there was a ship from Alexandria, a big grain ship, just like the one that they'd been on, and, and it is going their, their way. It's going the place, that, and it can take apparently all of the people aboard, or at least all the ones that kind of matter to the story. Is that a coincidence? That is not a coincidence. You don't look, in the Christian life, we're not superstitious, but at the same time, we, we really don't believe in coincidences per se. This is God's hand. So they set sail and they come to Syracuse. Um, you know Syracuse, uh, west of, uh, of Garden City, I believe. And um, I, th- I looked it up. There's like, I don't know, about 10 Syracuses in the United States. What, and of course, Kansas, Kansas has to have one of everything. So there's, there's a Syracuse. This is in Sicily where the mafia is. Um, not at the time. I don't think the mafia had quite grown. La Cosa Nostra, and that's what we think of Sicily for. But they come to Syracuse, uh, you know, in, in Sicily there. They overnight. Then they, then they cut across, and they come to Regium. And that's at the... Well, you've got the map there, so you're following along, right? I put a... I put, actually, uh, Alicia dutifully stuffed all the bulletins with a map. And uh, last week she has to do that. But you see that they sail across to Regium, which is like the toe of the boot that is is Italy. Apparently, uh, at this point, the wind is not yet at their back. They, They tack across. I believe that's what's happening there. If you look at the verbiage here in verse 13, you'll see that. It says, and from there we made a circuit... And arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Puttiole. Huh? Puttiole. Uh, so in contrast to the slightly more difficult um, little, little, little trek across from Sicily to, uh, from, to Regium. Then all at once, they, they catch this wind behind them. And they are literally, you know, they are literally just cruising with the wind at their back and I picture this last leg of Paul's journey and, uh, and, I, and I picture him up on the deck of this ship with, with the sails just taut because the wind is just filling them and they are, they are cruising. It's a beautiful, you know, sunny day. You think of all that lies behind him, all of the, the treacherous waters and, 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 and the peril and the shipwreck and all of that and now Christ just has him on this ship on a beeline to get him uh, to Rome. Well, Rome's not on the coast. So first, they have to uh, get to Putiole, which is modern-day Pozzuoli. Yeah. I tell you that only in case you get to go to uh, Italy. You'll find that the Italian tour guides do not know these locations. Like, I, we went to Italy once. I did. Uh, and uh, the tour, I asked the tour guide about some of the... I, I was looking them up in my Bible. and I say, where's this? No clue didn't know where it was. It's close to Naples, if you're interested. Uh, they get there. They're refreshed by uh, brothers there who invite them to stay for seven days. 
This is very cool. God has people everywhere. Do you see the favor of God here? Italy already had Christians. Paul was not the apostle who brought the gospel to Italy, but God's people are there and they're ready to receive them with hospitality. Not only that, not only is that uh, the favor and providence of God, but once again, you see Julius is allowing this to Paul. He's allowing Paul to actually sort of leave his presence and go be in some home there and be, be waited on by, uh, by fellow Christians. None of that had to be. You understand that? None of that, by the nature of things, would have had to have gone that particular way. But God is being gracious to Paul. And, and this is an unusual time of favor in Paul's life. Do you remember what Paul told the, uh, the Philippians? Just, just to give you the balance. Because Paul wasn't always experiencing this kind of wind at his back. Paul says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul knew seasons where he was abounding and he had seasons where he had need. And this one right now is the wind at his back and things are headed in a, in a very fair weather sort of direction, aren't they? I think that's true of the church. We'll get to that in a moment. We'll make some application. But I think this is absolutely true of every Christian and church congregation. We have times where it is hard slogging. Anybody here that's been part of this church remember any times of hard slogging? No? Because I'm, I'm thinking I can remember a few of those days. But you know, but there are days of, uh, where God's favor is just kind of demonstrated. And this favor continues. Now they're journeying north along the famous Appian Way. How many from history remember the mention of the Appian Way? Very famous, very famous road. They're moving at, uh, uh, appears, a good speed. Um, and uh, some people, some people, uh, Paul stays, remember he's staying there um, for seven days before they start up the Appian Way. Apparently some people, because they couldn't have called them on the phone, uh, but some of the people, they decide to book it as fast as they can, and it, the text doesn't tell us this, this is, this is surmised, but some people manage to get the word to Rome. And then in the meantime, once it gets to Rome, guess who's coming? Guess who's here? Guess who's in Italy? And Paul had written to the Romans. Remember, that's the book of Romans, was Paul writing to the Romans and his desire to get there. And they're like, Paul is here. No way. Yes, way. Yeah, he's going to be coming up the Appian Way, as a matter of fact. And they're like, oh, let's, let's get there. So they take off, and they go about 30 to 40 miles. They come to a form of Appius and the three taverns. You know, you all know those places, right? Yeah, um, those are just watering holes along the way. There is actual re uh, ancient records of those places existing. I'm not sure we know where their locations were. I think they've been lost to time. But um, this would have probably been a little bit like back in the day of Route 66. How many know what Route 66 is? Yeah? All right. I'm not that old. I, I, never, I, never, I never traveled west on Route 66. But, uh, you know, back in the day, if you said, hey, we went out to California. Oh, yeah, you took Route 66. Well, of course. You know, where else would, what else would we have done? Oh, and where, where, where'd you stay? Well, when we were in Arizona, we stopped. You know, at that place, it looks like a teepee or it looks like a flying saw or whatever. You know, there, there, there were those landmarks along the way. And that's the kind of thing that's, that's happening here. Imagine, though, Paul coming toward Rome, and then 30, 40 miles, starting outside of the city, there's these people waiting on him. 
Paul could have come like a beaten down prisoner. He could, have, he could have been led into Rome like a prisoner of war. But instead, the picture here is of like this triumphal procession. Paul's like a conquering general. His head's held high. He's, he's coming there, and there are people waiting for him to cheer him. And Paul is so overwhelmed by this turn, turnout of believers that it says, And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. How many here have ever run a long-distance race? How many have ever been to one? Okay. I've run a few. I haven't run a lot. I don't want to overbill myself. I, did, I had a little period there where I was able to run. Um, the foot's not letting me do that anymore. But, um, but you know, in, in a long-distance race, it, it, when you start out, it's just you alone. Am I right, Sandy? You just feel you, you're in your own head. Sandy's a big runner. Um, you get in your own head. Daniel's here somewhere, too. He's, he's agreeing with me, I'm sure. But um, you, get, you, you think about your pain. You should, you're not supposed to, but you do. How else? You, you, you hear your breathing, and, you're, and you feel sh- like, oh, maybe, I'm, maybe I push myself too hard. Am I going to make it the whole way? You know, i got to pace myself. i got to, you know, my earbuds are falling out. Um, concentrate on the music. Concentrate on the music. But, but, but as the race comes toward the end, and you round the last turn, and you're in the last half mile or two blocks or whatever it is, depending, there will be people there waiting on the runners. And you may not even know any of them. It doesn't matter whether you know them or not, but, but there they are, and they're lining the way, and they see some old guy, you know, or young person or whatever it is coming up, and, and they can see the strain, and they start going, oh, you got this, you got this, come on, come on. And I can't explain to you why it should be, because it's the same ratty old body that's been running for the last however many miles. Nothing's changed, but you have people there cheering you on. It's just like somebody took a hypodermic full of joy juice, you know, joy juice, ill-defined um, and just shot it right into your heart and like whoo, your, your head goes up and you, and you start pushing harder and your breathing feels easier and you feel like you could run the whole race again backward uh, not quite but you feel good is my point and, and and I think that's what Paul must be feeling only only just more than that the, the, the sight of, of people redeemed by the same gospel that Paul has preached. It's gotten there ahead of him, and, and it's been brought by other people. But there they are, Christian brothers and sisters cheering him on. We get to verse 16, and when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Now, from what we can reconstruct from both the scripture, book of Acts, 2 Timothy, but also his history, church history, we surmise that, that Paul was in prison in Rome twice. And that the first, this one here, was the better of the two. Paul seems to have a certain amount of liberty. He's not in a prison. He's in a rented home. He does have uh, chains. He mentions chains. He does have a soldier guarding him. But, but it's a very, very minimum security kind of thing. He's got people waiting on him, bringing him stuff, taking care of him. It's, it's the better of the two. It is a moment of God's favor. Verse 17, Paul's actually able to call the Jewish leaders to the villa. I'm going to read quite a section here because most of this material we've already covered several times in the book of Acts. So I'm not going to spend as much time with it. But Paul relates, he gets the Jewish brothers there, the Jewish leaders, and he talks to them and he tells them his story. 
Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Now, by this point, we, we already basically know these facts concerning Paul. But just as we look at that, look at the things he's emphasizing. He's trying to get common ground between them as, as he wants to bring them the gospel. He tells them, look, I'm not an enemy of the people. I didn't go to Jerusalem to cause trouble. I didn't go bringing some charge against my people. I'm not a traitor. I think that Paul believes at this point that the Jews from Jerusalem had sent word ahead and had already poisoned their minds against them. So it's in his interest to try to defend himself. He protests his innocence. He talks about how the Romans found nothing in him that was worthy of death, but because the Jews were set against him, Paul was forced to appeal to Caesar. Again, he assures them there's no charge. He's not making a charge. He's not trying to bring down Judaism. He's not a traitor. In fact, the irony here that Paul brings up is that he was, he was um, put into prison and had all of these people against him because of the hope of Israel. What hope is he talking about? What was the hope? If you go back over the passages, the hope, what he, what he kept bringing up that kept causing all this, this tension was he kept bringing up the resurrection. Every Jew with the exception of the Sadducees, but every good Jew believed in the eventual resurrection of the dead that would come at the end of the age. And they believed in the Messiah. They didn't didn't know he'd come yet, but they were looking forward to the Messiah. And so Paul is getting ready to share the gospel with them. He's talking about the, the very crux of the gospel, which is the hope of Israel, which is the resurrection. Our Lord died and then was raised from the dead. Here's the remarkable thing after Paul's made a good sales pitch to them and explained everything. We find out that they didn't know anything about this. Here he's making this defense and he's going to all this great length to share with them that, hey, I'm not a problem. I'm not somebody you should be afraid of. Here's what actually happened as if they already knew. And they basically tell him, look, we, we didn't know anything about this. Had they heard about Jesus? Probably so. Had they heard about Christians? They mentioned that that sect, that so-called sect of Christians was spoken against everywhere, so they knew of Christians. They probably would have known of Paul by reputation, but they didn't have their mind pre-programmed or prejudiced against him. You see where I'm going to go with that? The favor of God. This is a favorable circumstance. They're not closed-minded. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you. None of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil against you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Okay, so this is as far as we're going to go in the text today. But look at the window of opportunity here. For the moment, the door is being thrown open to Paul. The Jewish leaders are saying, yeah, we're not so sure what to think about these Christian people. We've heard some stuff. But you know what? Bring it on. Tell us everything you want to tell us. 
Now, is Paul's luck about to change? We're going we're gonna to get to that next time. But, but for now, what I want you to see is just the favor of God. In Paul, did you write some stuff down as we were going along, or did you, did you forget to do that part? Yeah? Did you see the favor of God just in the travel, in the people that were there waiting on him, taking care of him, the favor he had with Julius, and then he gets to Rome, and he's got everything is just primed and ready. So here's the question to you today. What do we, what do, we do with that? What, what can we, cause, because let's face it, there are times, and Jesus told us this, he said the sun and the rain fall on the just and the unjust alike. There are going to be times where it's in season and times when it is out of season to preach the gospel. So what do we do? What do we do with it? Well, when the wind is at our back, first of all, we need to recognize his favor. We need to recognize his favor. One of the troubling aspects of my humanity, I'm just testing this out, I'm guessing it's a troubling part of your humanity as well, is that I often tend to see less of the blessings and more of the difficulties in life. And I think I'm a basically positive person, so I can only imagine what people who are genuine pessimists must go through. Um, We focus on the little things that are not quite right and we miss the big picture like do you remember that trip from uh, Syracuse to Regium and we were tacking and ah man it was about five foot swells and the boat was rocking oh I got nauseous and oh for days now it's been it's been so hard to get fit and then you know on that way boy was that was that you know they say oh Appian way it's so great you know I got a pebble in my sandal and the whole way you know the whole way to 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 the forum of Appius I was just getting a blister the whole time isn't that how we kind of look at it Now, see, we have the benefit of hindsight. We're looking at it, and I bet it was really easy for you, as I covered the material, to go, oh, look at the favor of God. Look at the favor of God. There's more favor of God. God's just good to Paul all over the place. This is so favorable. It's amazing, because we're looking at it from outside, looking back, and we're not the ones in there dealing with the day-to-day of it. I, I, I fear that that is our problem too often, we're like that family that spent 35, I know this is a, a fictitious family, but you know the family that spent 35 years in the fallout shelter, you know, thinking that World War III had happened? Blast from the past, yeah, Brendan Fraser. Yeah, it's probably been about 35 years since that movie came out. But anyway, that was a, that was a funny movie. But we're kind of like that, you know, like we're all hunkered down and, oh, life is so hard and COVID happened and, all, and, and, and we're just like, we, we get in a mindset. And meanwhile, the wind is blowing, and we, ha- we, we have the way just almost paved in front of us. We have like the Appian Way right in front of us that God's moving us on, and we just we don't recognize it. So that's the first order of business. In my mind, it's just recognizing it, seeing it. And then we should thank him for his favor. We should, we should develop that heart attitude of thankfulness. Paul sees the retinue of believers lining his way as he approaches Rome. And it says that he gave thanks to God and he took courage. I've been accused at times of being an optimist. Uh, personally, I think I'm a realist, which is exactly what pessimists say. Have you ever known? Isn't it funny? Pessimists and realists, uh, p- pessimists and, and optimists say the exact same thing about themselves. No, I'm not. I'm not one of those crazy optimists. I'm just a realist. I'm just a realist. And then pessimist, no, I'm not a pessimist. I'm just a realist. I don't know why it works out that way. But to live well in this world, I think... 
we have to, we want to fall a little bit more toward the optimism scale maybe, if that means that we are cultivating a sense of gratitude. The discipline of gratitude is so important. It doesn't mean that we have to be pie-in-the-sky optimists. It doesn't mean we have to be unrealistic. It doesn't mean that we, we plaster a fake smile on our face and act like everything's good when, when we're really dying inside. <laughs> it's not what I'm, that's not what I'm saying at all. But, um, but gratitude, gratitude and contentment are so important to the Christian life, and they are all... Uh, they're always possible. Even in the darkest of times, there are ways in which God's providential favor is shining on us. Paul says to those who are anxious, for instance, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you catch that little part with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, the, <clears throat> the balance of living life as a Christian with all of the trials and the tribulations and the, and, and, and the blessings and the favor of God, it seems to me like the balance is that when we're in need and when we're troubled, we pray. But in our praying, we pray with gratitude. We, we pray with thanksgiving for what God has done. God has shown us amazing mercies and grace. Even in the worst and darkest of times, we can still say that, can't we? God has been good to me. I'm going through a hard time. This is in his providence as well, but God has been good to me. He's doing good things in this situation as hard as it is right now. And God will have good for me because God has promised that to his people. Yeah, if we don't cultivate that, if we don't cultivate that sense of gratitude, we're going to miss a lot of joy. And what I fear is, not only will we miss joy, but in our dissatisfaction, whatever, whatever you want to label it, that we'll miss our opportunities as well. Opportunities to serve him. You see, we should, we should take all of that favor and we should seek and speak of our hope in Christ. Paul comes into Rome. He's all buoyed by the gracious favor of God. And, uh, and he gets to call. He gets his own little house there. You know, that he's, I mean, he's paying for it. But at least he get, he, it's not in prison. He has a little villa or whatever. And he's paying rent. And he calls the Jewish leaders to himself. And now he's going to give them the gospel. He is going to start sharing the gospel. That's why he's come, right? He came to Rome in hopes of encouraging the church, preaching to the believers, calling pagans and calling Jewish people to come to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is rested. Paul wasn't exactly resting in the sense of doing nothing, but Paul is charged up. He had three months in Malta. He had those seven uh, days with the, with the believers uh, there at Puteoli. And, and he, is, he is ready. He is, I think he's like raring to go. He, he, is, he is ready. It is, it is, it's in season now. It's in, the, the, the gospel, gospel preaching, it's in season. He would have done it if it was out of season. But I'm telling you right now, he, is, he sees the opportunity. This, this is like the moment he's been waiting for. Have you ever known anything quite as excited as a hunter on the day before the opening day of hunting? Whatever day it is, I don't care, whatever season. Yeah, anything more excited than that? Aren't they cute? 
Ladies, yeah, out in their man caves, getting out all their gear and cleaning their hunting rifles and laying out everything, taking dopey and pouring it all over stuff, you know, or whatever the case may be. Probably not if you're hunting birds, but you know, you get you get the picture, right? They're just like, oh, they're so ready to go. And that's how I picture Paul here. It's like Paul's got his camo on and he's got some duck calls in his pocket and, and he's waiting for the Jews to get there. It's like, ah, ah, you know what? It was a horrible duck call. And, uh, and you know, in come the, in come the, uh, the, the Jewish leaders and, and he's just ready to, ready to completely unload on them. Yeah. This is a case of biblical carpe diem. This is a case of seizing the day. Jesus said this. He said, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. So what should we do, church? And and I'm applying this first and foremost to the church, not just us as individual Christians, although this certainly applies in our individual Christian life. But what ought we do when we have the winds at our back? When God is giving us favor and, and, and immense opportunity, we need to preach the gospel. We need to pre- so, church, do you know the gospel? I hope you do. You ought to do. I, it's like every week we, we go over the gospel. What is the gospel? Let me remind you of it again. Like, oh, this again. Yeah, okay, let me just freshen your, freshen your mind. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. It's not the only place where the gospel is described, but he says this is the gospel. This is the gospel on which we've taken our stand. It is the gospel we have believed. It is the gospel by which you are being saved. Right? And, and, and then he goes on to talk about how Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He, he died on the cross for them. He was buried. He rose the third day. He was witnessed by 500 of his brethren. He was taken back up into heaven. He is coming again. That's the essence of the gospel, Paul says. That's what we believe in. When a person turns from their sin and looks to Jesus Christ and puts their trust in him and in that gospel of Christ, they are saved. And and that's what we need to know. That is the gospel that saves us. So tell them the gospel. Tell them the gospel. And if you're struggling with that, I just want to point out another little window of opportunity and maybe some favor of God. I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way. And I'm not patting ourselves on the back here or me, you know, God forbid. But when I was young... The church that I went to growing up was not a church that really consistently preached the gospel. Which I know it's amazing, right? But the church I was going to in high school when I was getting fired up about my faith, you could go a month and never hear a mention of the gospel. And that always, that always tore me up because there were people that I would want to invite to church, but I would invite them and they wouldn't necessarily hear what they needed to hear. I just say that to say this to you. When you talk about the favor of God, and I don't know if it'll always be this way for you, but do you realize you have a church that if you bring a loved one, a friend, a neighbor, a classmate, a coworker, if you bring them here to this church, you know they'll hear the gospel, right? Yeah? Isn't that part of the favor of God? Doesn't that put a little wind at your back, a little wind in your sail? Yeah, God's, God's giving you that opportunity. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you've heard the gospel, I w- I'd like to spin this and say, maybe the wind is in your sails today. Maybe in the grace and goodness of God, God just blew you right in here today. 
and you're hearing the gospel. And if you hear the gospel, if you believe upon the gospel, if you, if you turn and believe in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And you will know the favor of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the good gospel that, that you've laid out for us in your word. Thank you for um, the commitment of people like the Apostle Paul and just their heart, Lord. Thank you for their example. And we can see, we can see them going through hard times and shipwreck and adversity and, and need, and they still preach the gospel. And then, Lord, we can see times when, when you just paved the way and, and, and brought them straight to Rome, and, and Lord, and they preached the gospel. Give us that same heart. Help us to love that gospel and trust it for the saving of souls. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.